0: Welcome to 52 Minutes with Paul Rudy, an opportunity to learn about people in our area in a unique one-on-one format. Our host is someone who has spent his entire life growing up, attending school, and creating a highly successful business of his own in our local community. Please join us for the next 52 minutes as we settle in for another enlightening visit with
1: today's guest. Here is our host, Paul Rudy. Welcome to Paul Rudy's 52 Minutes With. Today I have 52 minutes with Victor Fuentes, a successful entrepreneur of Champaign-Urbana and other areas outside of Champaign-Urbana, and a person heavily involved in the community, and a quite a generous fellow as well. So, Victor, welcome.
0: Paul, thanks for having me over. It's a pleasure being here with you.
1: Well, great. Uh, I've been kind of looking forward to this. I don't think I'm going to get the typical story from you today. Uh, I read where you initially grew up in Mexico. Tell me about that.
0: Sure. Uh, I was 11 years of age when I came to the States. Uh, It was 1991 uh, when, through my father, who was a migrant worker, brought us over, um, not only myself, but my siblings and my mother. Uh, We actually came to Chicago again. I was 11 years of age when we came, and uh, we ended up moving to Champaign in 1998, and so here I am. Selling tacos since then.
1: <laughs> well, he's pretty humble about that. Um, so let's go to that first 11 years. What was kind of some of your memories from your childhood being in Mexico?
0: You know, I didn't realize uh, how poor we really were as a kid, and I never really missed anything because I didn't knew any different. I think I actually got my um, cultural shock when I came to Chicago, and I have something else to compare it to. Uh, but it will go back to my 11 years. I just remember growing up uh, close to family. My grandparents live a couple of doors down, a lot of aunts and uncles. Um, so a very typical childhood, you know. It was slightly challenging if I have to compare it with living here in the States, but at the time I didn't think so since I didn't have nothing to compare it to. And tell me about your folks. So yeah, you know, my my father is deceased. Um, he passed away three years of three years ago my mother is here in town in champagne uh, she lives not far from from us uh, my father uh, started coming to the states in the early 70s he would come for two years at a time work here send money back and then he will go to mexico for two months or so make a kid and then come back again for two more years and he, you got, he made a lot of kids Yes, it's actually six of us alive. It was seven of us. I lost a brother when I was a child myself. Um, But yes, and each of us, believe it or not, is two years apart because of that particular reason, him being a migrant worker.
1: And that's hard work.
0: It is. You know, I mean, the one thing that my father always, uh, his say to all of us was hard work always pays off. And he was truly a remarkable, hardworking man, man. I don't remember ever saying that he was tired. He worked 60 hours plus per week and never complained, just plowed through. And tell me about mom. So mom, uh, she didn't have a paying job per se, but she would stay home and put out with my dad and all of us. Uh, she's truly still to this day the glue that holds the family together. Um, she's a wonderful lady. Uh, and even though that I'm a grown man, I consider myself a mama's boy. I still talk to her every night for about couple of minutes or so but it makes her day and it makes my day i look forward every day and she has to be proud of you i think so uh, when she's when she has the two of us she tells me that i'm her favorite but i find out that she tells that to all of my siblings too
1: <laughs> well i had four brothers so i know what that's i know what that's all about so you're 11 years old you're in chicago uh, what was that first year like
0: you know i just uh, i give you a quick story uh, the first time that we went to a big grocery store, I was me and my two younger sisters, my sister Anna, which was nine at the time, my sister Martha, which was seven. And my father took us to an Aldi grocery store and we were um, buying some groceries and my father says, do you guys like cereal? We say, of course. And he says, okay, pick a box of cereal. And so we're fighting among my, my sisters uh, picking up with cereal and my father says no each of you pick up a box of cereal my eyes got so wide open that I couldn't believe that we can have our own um, cereal and then as we go through the frozen area she says do you like ice cream and I thought it was a trick question and it, he bought us a gallon of ice cream from the freezer store and I remember telling myself as a kid no wonder people want to come to the United States you know <laughs> you get
1: your own cereal and ice cream so that was awesome and, you know, I always think, you know, when you see kids move from city to city, uh, you always think about that first day in school. It's one thing to be, you know, a kid that grew up in the U.S. and just might move to a different town, but I can't imagine what that first day of school or the anxiety maybe were. Tell me about that, at least as far as you can remember, uh, kind of how you were feeling then. You
0: know, I was—I think I was—remember I being excited. And as you know, Chicago is very segregated, almost by design. You got communities that stay within their own. So I grew up on the um, mostly uh, Hispanic neighborhood, which it was 47 and Damon. They call it the stockyard neighborhood. So I even though the um, obviously in school I was taking ESL classes, um, most everything like the grocery store, even a, like the fast food chains. Um, everybody spoke Spanish, so I didn't really feel the, like the language was not an issue at the time, and when I came to school, uh, the biggest, um, I guess, shocking that I had that they offered breakfast and lunch, and at the time uh, I mean, that was a big deal, so that was probably the biggest difference that I noticed when we went to school, more than the the culture itself, I think that particular piece, the access to um, food, you know, which it sounds like not a big deal for people that grew up here in the states. So for us, even though that we were never starving, I always thought that it was such a remarkable thing that those things were always available.
1: Were, were going back to Mexico was you said you were never starving, but were there times when you were hungry?
0: Yeah, you know, uh, you know, my father was always a hardworking man, and, and we were now that I look back, slightly better than other people because my father will send money back, right? But you know, we were. We what probably, do you mean,
1: What do you mean by that?
0: Well, you know, like we had our own house, so we were not renting, even though it was a very primitive built house, it was still our house, so it was not, we were not renting. We have uh, part of our uh, floors were dirt, which I didn't think it was anything wrong with it at the time. We actually had a toilet, but we had to use, so my mother would recycle the water from uh, doing laundry. We'll save that water and use the laundry for uh, flush the toilet. So people didn't have it as good as we did, you know, even though that it wasn't perfect. Uh, It was better than some people. And then as far as as food goes, you know, we always have tortillas, beans. I mean, that was like the staple that we always had. But eating meat, uh, it was not, I mean, it was not like an everyday deal. So we would probably eat meat maybe once a week if we were lucky. And when I say meat, I'm not talking about a steak. It might have been a piece of meat with some hot sauce, beans on the side, and a whole bunch of tortillas. So uh, it's just a different uh, lifestyle.
1: And are there things, it sounds like one of them is hard work pays off, that you're you know, parents taught you as a child that you find yourself still driving the way you think and live today?
0: Oh, of course, you know. Uh, so, you know, one of the things that I believe uh, through the uh, teachings of my old man, my father, uh, I believe that fear, greed, and hard work, and fear of failing, fear of letting your loved ones down. Uh, greed when it comes you want something better you're not afraid to work hard to be able to get it uh, some people use the wrong connotations when it comes to greed uh, at least the way that I perceive it when it comes to if you want something better for yourself you're willing to work hard
1: I think you can have all the greed you want and I think it makes you do incredible things do you see a lot of people of any culture or just your view of the United States uh, that maybe a lack of success they blame Lack of opportunity, or is it? You know, how do you feel? How do you deal with that?
0: You know, I'm very, very uh, uh, protective and proud of the fact that I live in the United States. Uh, even though that I'm always proud of my ethnic background, the fact that I was born in Mexico, right? I mean, this, I mean, that's the essence of who I am. But I'm extremely grateful for having the opportunity to live here in this country, right? And to me, and the only other country that I have to compare it to, obviously, is my own, is Mexico, and. I truly believe that this is a place that if you're willing to work hard uh, with a little bit of luck, lots of work hard, you can do just about whatever you put your mind to it. So when you, when I hear other um, either ethnic backgrounds or people of different races who talk uh, not necessarily positively about the estates, I take it extremely personal because, honestly, not only for myself but for my siblings, my parents, I mean, this has truly been a has changed our way of living, the lives that we have taught, you, you know, the people that we have employed, uh, the fact that we can give back to our community. Um, it has been just to the fact that we are in this amazing country, so I'm extremely grateful and I'm extremely proud, you know, to call myself an American, even though that I was born um, in Mexico. When people ask me, uh, Victor, how often do you go back home? And I always know what they refer to. I always say, I go home every night. <laughs> and. <laughs> And I know what they're referred to. Sure. A, this is home to me, you know, all my girls have been born. I have four daughters. All of them have been born in the States. So um, I don't get too political when you say what my thoughts are about people speaking negatively. But I just take it personal. you know. I try not to speak my mind in public very much uh, with people that I don't know. Uh, it's kind of a soft subject, I guess.
1: Sure. I mean, and naturally so. And your siblings all adjusted well? Back when you when you guys moved from Mexico to Chicago,
0: yes. Um, so my so I have an older brother. His name is Ezekiel. He goes by Sammy. Um, give you a little funny story about him, you know. So since he's the oldest, his claim to fame is that he's the only one that is good-looking out of the six of us that are alive, and he says that it's because he was made out of love and the rest of us were made out of necessity, <laughs> you know. Spoken <laughs> so, uh, yeah. like a true eldest brother. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, as far as my siblings, so like I said, I have my brother Sammy. I have a sister. Her name is Chayo, a brother named Juan. And then I have two younger sisters, uh, Ann and Martha. Yeah, uh, all of them are great. You know, all of them happen to work on the restaurant and the restaurant business. Uh, my sisters uh, have their businesses of their own. You know, they're extremely hard workers. Uh, they're extremely successful on their own ventures. So I couldn't be prouder to call them my siblings.
1: Do you think that was, uh, they all then embraced what your dad taught them about hard work and, and feelings like that?
0: I believe so, you know. I, like I said, I believe necessity, you know, the fact that, I mean, they suffer firsthand, just like my, like myself, the things that we went through as kids, you know, not having, I mean, all these things that we took earlier. And I think that hunger uh, makes you want to keep working hard, keep doing it, and keep plowing through.
1: Is it ever about money?
0: You know, I always think money being a tool. Uh, I would lie to you if I said that, that is not part of the motivation, right? I think it's the money is just a tool to make sure that you're able to provide for your family pay your bills and you know enjoy yourself and have a beer with your friends here and there so yeah i would i would think it's not only about the money but i think it's a tool and i think it's part of it for sure
1: and then uh, kind of final question about that part of your life um what kind of you went all through high school in chicago
0: that's correct so i finished um high school, uh, Kelly High School, in the corner of uh, 42nd and so the name of the mascot was the Trojans so uh, 1998 is when I graduated uh, high school and I didn't knew what Champagne was when I ended up here. Uh, I had a cousin that used to live in Decatur and he was truly the brains of the operation when we opened our first location. It was an uncle, uh, his name is Martin, he still runs the store in um, Urbana and Arturo uh, who used to live in Decatur, calls me and says, hey, Victor, he says, how much money do you have? And being the cheap person that I am, I said, well, I don't know. How much money do you need? <laughs> I thought he was asking me for a loan, but he was actually asking me to partner out with him and to the first tour, which was uh, in 1998.
1: And what kind of kid would people say you were in high school?
0: Uh, I was probably a pain in the butt. I was uh, a troublemaker, a big chip on my shoulder. Uh, I wanted always always... Uh, I played soccer in high school, and I was not by any means the most athletic of the bunch, but I can tell you that I was one of the most driven ones. I think if you will rate my, uh, my how amazing soccer player I was in a scale 1 to 10, 10 being the best and 1 uh, being the worst, I was probably a solid 7. But I think when it came to my drive, I would like to tell you that I was probably 10, 11. Uh, so, I always, um, so I was probably... I always worked hard. I always had a job during high school. Um, I hustled.
1: Did you work through high school?
0: All all the way through high school. My last two years, I actually worked a full-time job uh, as a cook uh, in a Greek restaurant.
1: What was your first job?
0: Uh, Washing dishes. Uh, When I was the first summer when we came, my father got me this gig, uh, washing dishes for this uh, restaurant. and I remember my father giving me this little advice, giving me this little spiel. He says, when you work, work for somebody, once you clocked in, the time does not belong to you. It belongs to whoever is paying you. And he says, you make sure that you do whatever they ask you to do. He says, if they fire you for being lazy, not only they should be ashamed of yourself, but when you come home, the bell will be waiting for you. So you go <laughs> <wouldn't> to work <laughs> afraid.
1: And uh, that was just basically handed down to you from dad, it sounds like. That's right. And tell me about your children.
0: So I got four daughters. Um. Uh, my oldest one is Dominic, she's eighteen. Uh, she graduated uh high school this year. Uh she's gonna to go to Michigan State. Uh,
1: so have, how how do you how do you think you're gonna deal with your first little girl being gone to college?
0: You know I mean it's emotional. I'm a hot mess. Uh I I've been scared to the fact that she's gonna to go to college and never come back and so we talk about it and she says, Daddy, it'd be fine, I'll come back uh when she always wanted to go to Michigan State, and I didn't know why, but she always wanted to do it. And I was hoping that she would go here to the U of I so that I could keep her close. And
1: You she, got outvoted.
0: I, I, you know what, I got outvoted. I find out the, by having old girls in my life, I find out that women are not always right, but they're never wrong. <laughs> you just have to comply and go with the flow.
1: <laughs> and tell me about the other three.
0: So uh, the second one, her name is Emily. So Emily is going to be a senior in high school this coming year Uh, she's a dancer Um, she's been doing so for since she was three so she's going to be 17 here coming september Uh, all great kids all completely different from each other Um, she goes to central Uh, amazing kids all all four of them then the next one her name is kristen kristen is going to be a sophomore Um, she uh, out of my four kids probably my more nerd out of all of them extremely smart uh, likes to read a lot Uh, things probably that are she's smart way beyond her years sometimes she likes a little bit of uh, common sense but hopefully as the time goes by uh, she gets some of it as well my youngest one her name is angela Um, she has a very strong personality Uh, they go to STM. And people ask me how come you got some that go to um, public school and some of them that go to private school and I said some of them need more guards than the other ones and my youngest ones need a little more parameters
1: and Jennifer
0: so yeah so uh, Jennifer and I have been together for uh, 12 years Um, she's um, truly the one that glues the family together Uh, she now the, the, the kids, the older ones, drive, so she only drives the younger ones, but she's the one that spearheads the family. She's also um, helped us through the restaurants. Uh, most of the Toros, she does a lot of the paperwork when it comes to our licensing, uh, help us with insurance and so forth, and she also managed the one on South New herself.
1: And how do you think your children would describe you?
0: Uh, they probably say that I'm, uh, right now, I'm old school. They will say that I'm tough. So that I'm tough, that I'm old school. Uh, they probably will say uh, that, that I'm hard worker. Um,
1: do they think you work too much?
0: You know, the, I have I have them from time to time work with me, and they do. In um, the last five years, I have made it a point to make more windows of time where I can just make it a point to be and have dinner with them, and so they appreciate that as. Uh, much, but I believe, so I do believe that they perceive that I work too much.
1: Okay. Well, we're going to take a break on that good note and we'll be back with Paul Rudy's 52 minutes with Victor Fuentes. Welcome back to Paul Rudy's 52 minutes today. I have the pleasure of spending 52 minutes with Victor Fuentes, serial entrepreneur. And we'll get more into that. Now uh, we kind of left off about your childhood growing up in Chicago and in 1998 sounds like quite by accident, you ended up at Champaign-Urbana. Tell me about that.
0: Yeah, like I was uh, saying earlier, um, I didn't knew that Champaign even existed, to be honest with you. Uh, I was living in Chicago, just working there, finishing high school. And my cousin, his name is Arturo. Um, honest. I mean, his story, I mean, we have time, I will tell his story. I mean, he's just a, um, it's amazing. But anyways, uh, he was the one who had the idea of opening a Mexican restaurant. And he knew that I work as a cook in a Greek restaurant, actually. And he says if I wanted to be partners, uh, he asked me uh, to come and move to Champagne, and we did. So that was June of 98 when I first came to Champagne. Um, it took us about six months to open the first restaurant, which was on the corner of um, Springfield Avenue in Kenwood. And we opened that location on November 5th, 1998.
1: That location was a couple of different restaurants, wasn't it?
0: That's correct. So I believe originally when it was built, it was built for Mr. Steak. And then after it was Mr. Steak, uh, it was the lady who happened to be my landlord at the time. She had a restaurant herself, and that was uh, China Inn. And I believe when she closed that down is when we took it over, and then we make it into um,
1: El Toro. So what do you wish, you go back to your first store, uh, what do you wish you would have known then, opening that first store and getting started?
0: You know, I don't know that I wish that I knew anything different at the time. I sometimes wish that I was the same kid that I was then. I was, uh, you know, they said that ignorance can be a bliss. I was a lot more fearless back then. I was because I didn't knew of all the risk and the challenges that came with having a business. So I think it made it easier. So I learned a tremendous amount of uh, lessons by making mistakes because I didn't knew and I wasn't afraid. I believe as I'm getting older. Um I think I'm more concerned and more afraid, even though that I never let my fear stop me from doing anything. The one thing I miss is being that fearless as I was when we have the first location
1: uh, you'd be interested uh you know jimmy John jim Leoteau. uh he often talked about you don't learn you really only learn through pain pain is kind of that feedback that you know that allows you to go forward. Is that kind of the way you see it, too? Oh,
0: that's exactly, that's correct, though. You know, people ask me, and so I go I to meetings with people of, you know, they have bigger ventures than I have mine, and I remember one particular time, because of my simple, um, blunt personality, uh, somebody makes some remarks that really bothered me at the time, who said that I have the maturity level of an undergrad student, and it really hurt my feelings at the time. Uh, I didn't say nothing to this individual, right? Yeah. Uh, because I didn't know how to take it, uh, and you know, but it bothered me, and I took it to heart. And one of the things as I digested that particular uh, comment from this individual, I remember telling myself that he has no idea the pains that we have endured to have the little that we have accomplished, the the things that we have uh, gone through to be able to grow from. I mean, there were times that we didn't pay ourselves to make sure that we have money to pay, to do payroll, to make sure that we can save the little extra money, to make sure that we open this second location and so forth. So once I realized, you know, that, yes, I may I have gone through a brick-and-mortar uh, university of school of sorts after high school, uh, the lessons that I learned by paying, by suffering, by making mistakes, I believe they have given me, um, the experience that I have, the appreciation, and the endurance to deal with um, uncertainty. So, yes, I believe pain and mistakes make you stronger. And if you're able to
1: learn from them and keep plowing through, I don't think nothing can stop you. What What was the What would you say is if you have one your biggest business mistake you ever made?
0: I would say, uh, so I'm in business with my family. Uh, as you can imagine, that by itself is challenging. Um, I believe the the loyalty that we have with each other, and the lack of formal agreements, uh, that was probably the the biggest uh, business mistake that I have done. I think that has slowed me at some point from growing, but you know, t- thanks to it, you know, I mean, I have learned. You know, we kind of regroup. Uh, I'm in I'm in business with my older brother, Sammy, through most of our ventures but I will say not having uh, operational agreements early on that was probably the hardest thing that I ever did
1: yeah I I can identify with that some of my biggest issues in the my you know throughout my career if you just had better structured agreements on the front end it probably could have eliminated a lot of hassle and aggravation Um, so you have your first door open for how long before you open a second location
0: so in so 98, in November of 98, we opened the second one, and then we opened the second one on May of 2002, uh, May 9, of 2002. That was 1104 North Cunningham. Now it's a Chinese like restaurant. Huh. <laughs> it seems like we go back and forward, but uh, that was our second one. And at that time, that particular location was with my original business partner, Martin. At that time, we have already bought out my
1: my cousin. And then my brother is when he came into the business. And then you kept expanding the El Toro line?
0: That's correct. So uh you know, like going back to what you said about one of the biggest challenges I have. So when my brother Sami came into town, I love him to death. I have learned tremendous amount of things from him, but working under the same location, he's ten years older than I am, uh, extremely smart, super hard worker, but we have different personalities and that created some friction and I believe out of that friction. A trigger we need to open another store so that each of us can have our own um location and here we are
1: and you stamped out how many ultimately
0: so we have uh, 18 el toros all through uh four states so we have uh as you know the epicenter is champagne Urbana, but we have stores in Rantoul, arcola danville st joseph uh, and then we have two in indiana one in zionsville one in downtown Indianapolis, which I was, my brother actually um, orchestrated a particular uh, deal. It used to be the oldest Mexican restaurant in downtown Indianapolis. It used to be called Capulco Joe's. Um, so we acquired that one. It's El Toro now. So then we have um, a store in Cincinnati and a store in Walton, Kentucky. All
1: right. And uh, I know you've expanded as I talked at the front of the show. Uh, I'm going back to the list. Hank's Table, tell me about that.
0: Yeah, you know, so I'll tell you how that worked, you know. So in 2008, 2009, um, I felt like I wanted to do something different. I actually opened a place called VP Castle, and I have tried twice. I'm a sore loser. I don't like to lose, and I'm, I opened a store. I messed it up, and I said, you know what? I'm going to come back with a vengeance. <laughs> and a couple of, two, three years later, I reopened that place in downtown, and one of the things that I learned that I'm really good selling tacos and casual food. And uh, in cities like Champaign-Urbana, even though, though we like to think that we're foodies, um, the vast majority of people like to have value and they want to be able to eat. If you, wanna, if you expect a customer to come to your establishment three to five times per week, you need to give them volume, not only when it comes to pricing, but also when it comes to volume as far as the amounts of food that you give them. With high-end food, the margins are a lot less uh, and they're super small. And the prices are higher. So, you know, I never find my niche. And out of that particular deal, uh, Hank's Stable was born. Uh, Hank's Table um, came out of my partnership with Tracy Lips. Uh, she actually uh, had a farm, and we met together through VP um, through Castle. She was my partner on that particular um, venture. And we decided that we needed to do something different, something a little more approachable that we wanted to do. Uh, some burgers and sandwiches, you know, sourcing, uh, food from the farm, Willow Creek Farm. So her, the name Hanks, uh, obviously, I don't know, my accent hasn't given me away, and we talked about it earlier, but I'm not from here, right? I was born in Mexico, so. You know, you're no Hank. (laughs) No Hank, that is right. So, when we were trying to figure out and come up with the name for this particular, uh, new concept, I mean, we went with a whole bunch of different, uh, ideas and, Tracy's uh, late husband, uh, his name was Henry, and he went by Hank, and everybody liked him. And Hank it was a catchy name. It was very Middle East, Middle um, of the United States name. We thought it was very friendly when people say it, and it's how the name was born.
1: And the Pink Pig, that's out, and I've, I used to go to the Pink House a time or two, and I'd go to Homer Lake ice fishing in the winter time. It's no longer the Pink House. Tell me about how that happened.
0: Yeah, So, uh, so again, you know, like, uh, as much as I would like to tell you that I, I take all the credit for coming up with these amazing ideas, that was not the case. Uh, again, Tracy lives on this. She says, Victor, you should look into uh, maybe renting uh, the old pink house. And I said, you know, I know the owner. I'm going to, like, reach out to the building. And so I took him out for lunch. And after I went for lunch, he says, you know, I actually want to sell the building. Um a, a friend of mine, super nice gentleman. So lunch, I bought him launch and bought a building. Uh, that was that lunch. Lunch. <laughs> it was an expensive lunch. It was an expensive lunch for sure. But out of there, you know, we always knew that the Pink House was an institution when it came to the name. People knew what it was. It had been uh, that at that location for, I believe, 30 years or so before it closed. So we decided that we are going to do a barbecue concept. Uh, again, you know, sticking with the fast food, uh, cons- not fast food, but casual, fast uh, dining experience that we do at El Toro. We wanted to start with the same line. So the barbecue came to mind. So we decided to call it the pink pig. Uh, the pink just to obviously honor the name of the pink house.
1: If you ever, uh, going into a small town, um, I'm just going to ask you, did you ever get a feeling that maybe you weren't welcome because you're Mexican from Mexico?
0: You know, uh, not so much. I think when I was probably younger, I probably would, ex- I have experienced ignorance, you know, and I would lie to you if I said that I haven't, I have, but honestly, uh, I never thought that I was privileged recently, uh, and when I say privileged, I never thought. I thought, you know, I have what I have, and I'm grateful, and I move forward. But recently, I did learn that when somebody uh, shows ignorance towards me, not only that I feel very comfortable in my own skin to tell them very respectfully to go after themselves, right, if I need to, or thank God I have the means, and when it comes if i compare myself to other latinos in town you know i speak enough english you know that i can articulate and answer a response without having to get physical or get overly defensive so have i experienced it yes do i let it bother me not really and getting back i just
1: you know and i don't know why that triggered my thought okay now you're going into an even smaller town and, and and i have no reason to think there would be any bias there just kind of an American thing. You know, sometimes it shows up. Um, Deca Holdings.
0: So, yeah, so the Deca Holdings, you know, so the Deca name comes from the initials of my girls. It's kind of where the name comes from. So D for Dominic, E for Emily, C for Kristen, A for Angela. That's where it comes. Um, So obviously, I don't have no business plan, right? And I don't come from a family that have money. But one of the things that I learned, uh, being the inquisitive guy that I am, I always ask people that were successful. um, You know, like, what do you do you know to diversify and regardless of what they were doing for their primary um, means of making a living they always have real estate of sorts so that triggered my juices dry, right? and i figured out you know what i'm going to start buying a rental house here and there and so i have a slightly over 100 units or so that i have buy over the years
1: and then you so you buy them do you, do you are they fix-ups or some of them are some of them aren't
0: yeah, correct. So, that, so my niche, you know, uh, so I have my own crew who do maintenance through the restaurants, and that's how the whole thing actually started. So, I think my happy medium is whenever houses that need some little uh, uplifting, a little bit of TLC, and so we we'll fix them up, we we'll rent them out. Uh, all of our, I would say, like probably 95% of our properties are very solid B. Uh, Properties, right? So they're not, you top of the line by any means, but they're nice middle class
1: uh, houses and apartments that we own. Is that a, a long game plan or is that one that you're buying for cash flow or a combination of both?
0: Uh, you know, like right now, you know, pre uh, COVID 19, I always thought that that was going to be my retirement, having some passive income as I got older and I wouldn't be able to. Flink tacos in the restaurants and have the energy to be bouncing around. I figure out that if I can pay those um, units um, as fast as I could, and because my money was not coming, it was not depending f- from this particular venture. Um, you know, while well, my mindset has changed a little bit. And so DECA has evolved now into, uh, so we started doing maintenance for other people as well. So I have about eight people that work for me full time on the maintenance piece. Um, so our goal with the real estate still is going to be that one day I can have some passive income. I'm 40 years of age. I'm hoping that I can make it to 50, and if I do, I'm hoping that I, hopefully I don't have to be working
1: as hard as I am right now. Tell me about mentors. Do you have any? It sounds like early your father was maybe Arturo. Is that what did I get that right?
0: Yeah, that's correct. You know, so
1: have there been others since then?
0: Of course, they have. You know, I always so I look at people sometimes, and I look at them, and even people that I'm not even overly friends with them that I just like either follow up. follow with them online or i can like read through them and i look at these people right and i look at them and i'm like and i use my inspiration more of a mentor if that makes sense Mm -hmm. i'm like man they can do it i can do it right but as far as having somebody like tangible obviously because my you know my old man even though my old man and i were never bfs we were never the best friends. my father was uh it's old school i mean he never said i love you it was not a way of teaching right? But the one thing, obviously, the work hard that he um, taught us how to do, you know, has been carried through myself and my siblings. Uh, another like gentleman uh, in town, his name is James Cisco. Um, he's like my second father. So I look up to him. Um, probably when I was in my early twenties and I went through my divorce, he was probably one of the guys that I uh, that gave me the most direction at the time and gave me some advice without expecting anything in return and without any judgment. Um, I have surrounded myself as I've gotten older with people that are smarter than I am, who have different types of businesses, right, that are always available when I have a question about how you're doing this, how you structure this, Um, and they're very, very uh, giving with their knowledge and their experiences on their own businesses, so, you know, one of the things that I have done, like I said, as I've gotten older, just surround myself with people that are way, way smarter than me, uh, and we go to lunch or we go and do happy hour. And even though that it may be a casual visit, uh, it may be an hour-long visit. You know, It might be only five minutes of business, but they're always available. They're always there. So I'm grateful for all these friendships that I have made over the years.
1: Do you think Champaign-Urbana is a – I've always felt, I've said this probably in past shows, that it's a very forgiving – I don't want to say easy town to be an entrepreneur, but – uh, I maybe maybe I would say easy I, I don't I'm not sure I'd probably be a better word but I, I found it very it's just if you work hard in Champaign-Urbana do, it, how does Champaign-Urbana do you f- first do you see it that way as Champaign-Urbana and how does that compare to other communities that you're in
0: so for, for once I, I do believe that Champaign is very like welcoming and in that regard I think it's easy and I think part of it is because of the university I think Uh, it creates this melting pot of different cultures that it makes it a lot more accepting, um, that it makes it a lot more accepting for all of us, uh, for people from different backgrounds. But as far as uh, being an entrepreneur, you know, I believe that uh, you're right. You know, I think it has all the ingredients and the right elements that if you work hard and you either offering a service or a product and you're doing it right and working hard, I think, yes, it's easy.
1: Okay. Well, we're going to take a break. We'll be back with Paul Rudy's 52 Minutes in just a couple of minutes welcome back to poverty's fifty two minutes today i have the pleasure of spending fifty two minutes of victor fuentes a serial entrepreneur quite successful indeed um, one question i want to ask you what's the best part of being an entrepreneur
0: i guess uh... i don't know if it's the best part but one thing that i enjoy tremendously it is the fact that i can i get to do uh, what i want to do when i set that right i have to implement my ideas, uh, I get to um, do what I do, and thanks to, the, uh, to being an entrepreneur has given me the opportunity to meet amazing people, have given me the opportunity to be able to uh, make a little bit of money and do the things that I really enjoy to do and provide a better life for my family.
1: What would you say uh, your biggest accomplishment in a, as a career?
0: I would say my my biggest accomplishment will be able to manage to still be partners with my brother. I believe this probably, uh, I value that particular uh, partnership for the fact that it's just that challenging. And I value it for the value that the loyalty that he has to me. Hopefully he feels the same way uh, for me. Uh, But I believe this probably the biggest thing that we have. After 20 years of business, we still partners together even though we don't agree uh, and everything. So we, it's a good partner.
1: When it comes to either looking at different business ideas or people that might want to partner with you and they bring you an idea because the more successful people are, the more, I always say they get more looks at opportunities. You know, it's a kind of a virtuous cycle, but what would be a deal killer for you? Someone brings you an idea, but there's something they say or do or behavior that would say that would instantly in your mind go, Nope. So, you know, one of the things that I do, I think a lot of people have great ideas,
0: but they don't have no intent of doing any of the hard work. So whenever I tell them, I say, you know, if you want to partner up, I said, I'm all games. Let's do it. You know, I like your idea, but I don't want to run another business. If you want to be the operational piece of this particular project, I'm all in. And if they say, no, 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 I don't want to work. I have another job. I say, well, you know, I don't think you're ready to have
1: a business of your own yet. And... What would you say the most common, because so many restaurants come and go, and here you've had all the staying power. You've had some restaurants come and go, but you've built a, quite a portfolio of, of successful restaurants. But what would you think, what's the most reason, uh, what's the most common reason for people failing or giving up?
0: You know, I think, I guess failing uh, or giving up is the lack of funds, right? That's truly what it is. And if I'll be honest with you, the reason that our first location didn't work, it was the competition when it came to the Mexican uh, restaurant industry was not as um, severe as it is now. And, and honestly, I didn't have a safety net. There was no plan B, so it had to work. So uh, for us, I mean, we were all in. And I, I think the reason that some of the businesses uh, th- uh, don't... Um, end up working out, I believe that they don't have the right funds, the right structure early on. And they don't realize how much of your time it actually takes early on when you're trying to get a business off the ground. I think people that have never been in business don't realize that part.
1: And when I think of uh, the restaurant business, lots of labor. You have a lot of employees. But how many employees would you say you have, roughly? I think among all the uh, restaurants, we probably
0: have a total between part-time and full-time, slightly over 500
1: and how do you on earth manage 500 people
0: you know what uh, with, from time to time with a glass of sky right? not just kidding <laughs> you know uh, like I said you know the fact that I have my so we have a great team that works for us and the fact that my brother Sam you know he um, we alternate when we visit stores and so forth and anyways uh, that's how we do it
1: how do you think people that you work with at whatever level would you know, would describe you or describe your best quality?
0: I would like to say that uh, a lot of them may find me intense. Uh, a lot of them may find me um, that when it comes to work, I'm very black and white. Uh, completely different than if you know me
1: socially. And if you had one piece of advice to someone just starting out, what would that be? I would say, you know, just keep working hard. Just keep grinding it.
0: Uh, I believe that, like I said earlier, if you work hard, uh, it, it really
1: pays off. And with a little bit of luck, you know, you'll be able to push through. And kind of finally on this career issue, what profession other than your own would you attempt if you were going to scrap it all and go try something else? What would that be?
0: You know, this is like funny because it's just uh, like right now. I mean, I have some thoughts of doing something differently. But if I didn't have to do it by money, I would like to either be in a mechanic for all cars. That's what I would really like to do. Or I would like to be a hunter guide, you know, where I can be in the woods, you know, guiding people to either just see scenery or help them harvest a deer or stuff of that nature. It's probably what I would like to do.
1: And you have some land that you like to romp on. Does that kind of give you peace of mind and some clarity from time to time?
0: Yeah, that is correct. You know, honestly, I've been mean, uh, very lucky The through partnerships and through ground that I own on my by myself. I enjoy being in the woods. I enjoy by my, being by myself. I enjoy the solitude. I enjoy nature. You know, in my business, on the restaurant business, one of the things with you is people, it's a people business, right? You have to deal with, you mentioned employees earlier, but also the customers, we, thanks to them, you know, we're able to do what we do. But in order for me to recharge the batteries, uh, I just like, my solitude and being in the woods is how I do it.
1: And we have with all these customers, so you you could almost say a lot of your problems talk back. I mean, it's people, this people issues uh, when it comes to customers. How do you handle criticism?
0: You know, I may mean, take it. You know, uh, from case to case. Uh, thank God it doesn't happen as. Uh, it's a lot more positive comments that they're bad ones. So if it's something that we made a mistake, I own it. I say, you know what, I made a mistake, I'm really sorry, how do I make it better for you? Um, I don't like being hanging. Um, so there's sometimes if it's, uh, if somebody has an opinion of me or my business, right? I mean, everybody has the right to do so, but if it's something that is factual, uh, and they say that we either messed up their order or we did or say something wrong, I like to own up to it and apologize. And how do I make it better and try to learn from that particular mistake?
1: And when you're sitting around just thinking out in the woods, what kinds of things do you worry about and why?
0: You know, I worry uh, probably my biggest thing that goes through my mind on a day in, day out, I will say is my girls. Uh, They're probably my biggest biggest priority. Uh, I love them tremendously, like everybody that has kids. Uh, So I I worry day in, day out that if I'm doing a good job, you know, being a good parent, providing a good example with how I am, with who I am, uh, I try to instinct good values in them so it's probably the the one thing that I think the most uh, when I have some downtime
1: and how do you deal with uh, when the boyfriends pull up?
0: oh well <laughs> that's only the second oldest have had a boyfriend you know they're kids and I struggle with it you know I know that it's happening and I know that it's gonna keep happening and I just have to uh, wrap my head around it um, I would like to, if I tell you that I like it, I do not. I just, uh, I'm patient and sometimes I just have to serve myself an extra cocktail to be a little more uh, mellow when they arrive.
1: <laughs> so when you kind of look throughout life uh, in general, what, kind, what hurdles would you say you've personally faced and how did you overcome them? Is there any one or two big ones?
0: Yeah, you know, I think one of the uh, probably biggest um, hurdle that I did, uh, you know I, didn't, I don't have much but I grew up with nothing and when I was able to uh, have a little bit of um, success when it comes to acquiring some money you know I'm, I was married when I was twentieth, and I believe uh, at the time I knew how to handle the fact that I had a little bit of money at the time I believe that I was a little bit of, um, arrogant and selfish and ignorant and make mistakes that cost me my marriage uh, early on so I believe that was probably the biggest I heard alright. So uh, my ex-wife's a great woman, uh, you know. And so that was probably what we'll say that would be the most challenging thing that I have um, encountered. And that goes both professionally and when it comes to family itself, uh, I believe because they're tied together because of what we do sure. with business. And your
1: free time, what do you like to do?
0: So right now... Uh, <laughs> I you know I start I, I get I get up super early my day start around 4:15 in the morning but usually by nine o'clock at night I like to be put myself to bed or at least be by myself but I like to do happy hours probably one of the things that I enjoy to do on my downtime you know spend some time with quality people uh, thank God I'm surrounded by tons
1: of good friends yeah that's that you are lucky for that uh, what are you not very good at
0: keeping my mouth shut. Uh, I'm very uh, blunt. Uh, I usually say what comes to my mind and sometimes people do not appreciate the fact that I have a very uh, strong opinion and sometimes they ask me what I think and I don't think they're ready for
1: my response. (laughs) And when you're sitting around with some of your good buddies, your best pals at a happy hour or whatever, how do you think they would describe you?
0: I would say that that I'm uh, Fearless. I would like to think that they said that I'm loyal. Um, I would like to say that I'm fun.
1: You're not. I've been with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're a lot That's of true. fun. Um, you're involved in a lot of organizations. Which one or two uh, would you say you know the most people, uh, most involved with, and and why? Why is it? So what? it's
0: two of them. You know that I'm actually um, fan of them. So one of them is the. Um, the Boys and Girls Club um, here in Champaign. I was asked to be on the board, and I've been on the board, I believe this is my third year. Uh, You know, we'll be actually, so I like what it stands for. It's a very active and involved board, so I really like that part of it. Um, I believe that the board truly has uh, a lot of input in how to spearhead the organization. I'm able to help them. Like right now, El Toro is donating food for the Boys and Girls Club once a week. Um, because then I've been able to get food from somewhere else. So we're able to step in and help them out. The other one is the soup kitchen. So the soup kitchen feeds the homeless um, here in Champaign-Urbana. Yeah. And one of the things that we do in 2009, I remember being on the overpass on Prospect, and I saw this white uh, Caucasian. He was uh, probably mid-30s. And I look at this guy for about, I don't know, 10 seconds, whatever the light took, and I'm like, how come this guy doesn't have a job? I told that to myself. I was bothered, even you know, though I didn't interact with this gentleman, uh, but I was in, intrigued by the fact that this guy seemed to me to be healthy, yes, from the outside looking in. Uh, I asked um, a friend of mine, you know what, well, his thoughts were, on, on homeless, and he said, um, you know, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of different like reasons, you know, a lot of them have mental issues, which I have never even thought about that yeah. particular piece, and he took me to the soup kitchen to see these people, right? And I, said, and I said, where did they get the food? And he says, you know, they get it from some restaurants, uh, give some leftovers from the day before. And I said, man, I want to do something better than that, though. I want to be able to feed them. And I've been feeding them since 2009 once, once uh, a month. So it's on a Tuesday. I believe it's the third Tuesday of every month. If you ask the soup kitchen what is the most popular day they have, they will tell you with no doubt that it's Taco Tuesday when I told does arrive. <laughs> And so we've been feeding about like 200 people uh, once a month, and we've been doing this. um, So this is going to be our 11th year doing so. So those two are two organizations that um, I feel proud to be able to be involved in such sort of capacity. When it comes to the homeless, it makes me feel that I'm extremely, extremely blessed. And if I can give somebody something back and give them a good meal so that they can have a dignified meal, that makes me feel good
1: i think that's wonderful i've had uh if you're talking about the daily bread soup kitchen uh, i've had karen pickard on my other radio show on the money and the boys and i have gone over there to help uh that was on a monday so we didn't get the taco tuesday (laughs) from there and i would tell people that when my brother-in-law died as a young guy this was only about a year ago you know they had so many people in so fast and like, what are we going to eat so i just sent a quick text to victor i said hey i need some help uh, here's how many people I have. He says, "Got it covered. Come over at 4:30." No bill. That's not what I expected. It's not what I wanted. I gave a really big tip to your people, though, for your, your help. Uh, but so, I, I know Victor is a very caring, giving person. Well, Victor, thanks for joining me today. I couldn't be happier to have you on my show, and uh, and thanks for being open and sharing. I think it's uh, as Ed Bond was saying earlier, our producer here. Uh, behind closed doors he said wow what an interesting story it is and it's an interesting story indeed well thank you for listening to paul rudy's 52 minutes with victor fuentes today i'll be back in a couple of weeks with another paul rudy's 52 minutes